Okay. It's <laughs> pretty good, Great right? Idea. Pretty yeah. good idea, right? <laughs> Normal Al. <laughs> he usually makes things a little weird, right? But what if we take weird songs and make them normal? <laughs> Just turning like an animal collective track into like a regular like That's true. I could my girls just take a little rearrangement there. We got a top forty hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Animal collective. The opposite of pop music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was <laughs> I was you know, riding with what uh I, I meant it was weird. Yeah, like it was weird. I I didn't hey we're talking about weird normal here. Yeah. We're not, we're not talking about terms of <laughs> We cannot stop talking about music tonight. <laughs> <laughs> It's the extended clip after hours feed, and we're turning the clock way back to when rock and roll was king. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to continue the music chat, back back when music actually meant something, the 1950s. We had bands like Sha Na Na. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much all the music I listen to is from the 1950s, and I don't listen to it a decade later. And that's just, hey, that's just back when music was good. It was back then. Rock and roll was king, baby. <laughs> Um, All That Heaven Allows is a film by Douglas Sirk from 1955, and it's just one of those Douglas Sirk melodramas, baby. You have that canon of Sirk films from the 50s, and frankly, this is only the second one I've seen, but I've read about them. I know I know the deal. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he has these crazy melodramas that were, you know, acclaimed lightly at the time but then he's kind of forgotten as this guy who made you know women's pictures weepies uh but then you know so many auteurists reclaimed him that he becomes high art again with people like fastbinder basically remaking his film stuff like ollie fierce ollie fear eats the soul is essentially a remake of this uh with uh with a little race play added into the <laughs> into the repertoire of kinks if age play wasn't enough for you <laughs> um. but yeah sir like it, it's not like the accidental art of the other auteurs oh, though he yeah. is no. so self-aware he was an early director of brecht's three penny opera in germany he is like a fucking erudite intellectual ass motherfucker. He he is ahead of you if you think you're over intellectualizing one of his scenes. He knew what you were over intellectualizing. I mean, like, he has people talking about Freud and shit like in a fifties movie, but like in a way that's clearly critique of a young person learning Freud too. It's it's so layered. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, all the middle class commentary that exists throughout is just absolutely absolutely like beautiful and just uh very pointed and adds i don't know there there's so much depth here i don't even know where to begin i mean Cirque. even i was looking at like some basic interviews from him he's even in the one saying the quotes like oh yeah it's the dialectic of high art and trash like, <laughs> like, <laughs> he knows what's up like <laughs> Uh, if like I, I wanted to read from Laura Mulvey, uh, who you know she wrote the classic, you know, on visual pleasure. That's like the key text to cinema as voyeurism and scopophilia. And uh, it's it's just from the fucking DVD card for this from the Criterion one that they got her to write. Uh, but it says, uh, Cirque, Cirque creates a cinema in which the screen itself speaks more articulately than the protagonists, tongue tied as they are by the codes of their. Uh, by the codes of 
their fictional setting, the powers of censorship at Hollywood at the time, and the norms of family melodrama. So as she's saying, it's like, yeah, the visual style speaks so much louder than the script possibly can, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny, like, I don't know, kind of like the idea of framing a melodrama as like, I don't know, like a dumb movie, low art, etc. I remember, because I think this is... I think this is one of the first like um, kind of movies where I kind of understood that kind of like low high art like dialectic and moving you know began to appreciate. It. I saw mm-hmm. this you know fairly early in like I don't know like my uh, movie watching you know the my heavy movie watching <laughs> era that I'm in now. Yeah. Um, and I remember you know bringing this up to you know not to always mention my grandma and what she's saying, <laughs> but uh, I, re- I I remember she was just kind of like oh that movie like Jane Wyman's like dumb like she was just like being like she basically said Jane Wyman's like a dumb bitch like who who likes that weepy bullshit and it's like it's very funny because it's like some of the. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't say that but like that's yeah, basically no, that's, what yeah, she's i guess she said that if i if i were to have that sentiment that's what i would say yeah. but i don't <laughs> i don't fucking love this movie and um it's just interesting because of course you know stuff like i don't know like um not letting you know other people influence decisions for you or whatever or you know stuff like that stuff that's like or like kind of basic tenets of like individualism that you could kind of see in a lot of movies but like i don't know it's just like it's even taken steps further here thematically let alone like the impressive visual style which is kind of like i think maybe the main attraction when it comes to cirque but like mm-hmm. even alone in the thematics kind of like uh rock hudson and his you know living life out of suburbia kind of a lot of like mod- modern hollywood movies that kind of uh, expose progressive values are not even um giving you that it's going a step further i mean even how it views you know television too of course i mean that's more might have been more of a movies tv battle of the time thing mm-hmm. but still it's like i don't know it's uh it's still some pretty even to this day yeah saying some hot stuff and it's like the over intellect over intellectualization of it too because it's like you have rock hudson as this guy who's like a landscape artist you know he's like a working class guy but maybe above that he like has his own landscaping business that was his father's uh and he decide he chooses to live out in the woods uh and walden you know thoreau's walden is out on the table it's like a godard movie where <clears throat> people's ideologies are just books that they have uh and you know the, the way that cirque plays with that as like another key text of american fiction of or not even of american fiction rather of american art you know uh well there's a great part with that like the book is like it's his friend that's reading it and it's like not even like it's like yeah if ron like he's not reading it he's living it yeah exactly i love that (laughs) he's never even read it he just he knows what's up it's too alpha (laughs) rod Hudson is the perfect alpha yeah yeah this movie you know a migtow man going his own way but not you know not away from women of course and like uh you know he's he's blue collar. You know he's got he works with his hands and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but he's he's got friends who have books laying around. But he's he's not touching that stuff. People are looking up to him. Taking yeah. his so advice. polite and sensitive yeah. in this too, and mm-hmm. just in touch. Like but when I want to rock Hudson. But when he wants you know uh, to make an advance, let's say, uh, I mean he's still polite, but like 
the pivot from Hudson being polite to trying to fuck oh, yeah. is incredible. It turns on a dime. And it's like, that's a great contrast with like the cucked old man that she's just mm. been like seeing <laughs> and not fucking yeah. in the very beginning. So Jane Wyman plays a widow. Uh, she had a wealthy husband and she has two children that go to college that come back on the weekends to stay with her. And yeah, she's been courted by few older men. Then she goes to this one party where this guy just like takes her outside and just like tries to make out with her violently. And she's like, what the fuck, man? Like, yeah, it's just like, uh, and that guy comes back later and she's like, He's just like, oh, so you're fucking with this boy toy, Rock Hudson, over here. Okay, well, let me try again then. <laughs> like, what is the thought process there? But also, that's like all the characters in this. There's so many people whose emotions are running so high that they don't act logically. That they just act so emotionally that these melodramas are so easy to read into on like a psychological level. And it's just like they're bare impulses, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, kind of the the daughter character of the Jane Wyman. She's a, you know, a psychology major, I'd have to assume, or whatever. Yeah, something like that. She reads case studies. And is always talking about them and, like, trying to apply them to daily life. But, it like, I think that, I mean, that's also, you know, what's great about this movie, too. It's like Cirque, as you said, he's very aware of kind of, like, what he's doing here, kind of, you know, addressing kind of, like, these, these tropes or whatever. But also... You get to indulge. Rock Hudson is a romance book character. You know what I mean? No, no, mm. you know, you know. Despite you know some trysts that they have, no man is as as perfect as Rock Hudson is. You know, in this, you know, he's. I really care about like flowers and stuff, and I know all about that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like, like Clint and the Mule. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Indul- like indulging in that stereotype, and then like kind of, I don't know, playing it out to a certain end and getting something super interesting out of it. And just the way he navigates the house that Jane Wyman lives in is so incredible. He meaning Cirque. Uh, Since this film is so interior, like, it's just so elegant. The dolly moves from, like, the outside of one room to another in a hallway. Or even just splitting the living room in half and, you know, uh, turning the camera from one side to the other. Or playing off of a mirror as Cirque plays scenes off of mirrors for, you know, anywhere from a like half a second to five or six seconds to really let it sit in. But sometimes it's just a glimpse and it's like, he just gives you a glimpse of beauty while the camera is moving or right before a cut that you just want back kind (laughs) of. And it's so beautiful because you find yourself just like chasing that within his mise-en-scene. And it's, it's really just such a beautiful movie. I mean, yeah, I think what strikes most about Cirque is his use of color and it is like this movie has some of the best use of color like I've ever seen I really Absolutely. I'd have to say that and it like you said like uh, kind of like the mise-en-scene or like uh, going you know throughout rooms like I was watching a scene and I was just noticing I think it's a, a scene where and I think this is where the colors really because like they're very noticeable at first just because of how rich they are and how they kind of like you mm-hmm. know you kind of play like there's because this movie's you know dramatic it's melodramatic and like a lot of you have a lot of emotions on the surface, but also just kind of under the surface too, you know, over the surface with its color and its dramatic style, but also like kind of like a character desires brewing under that. But as that kind of develops and, uh, you know, as Jane Wyman kind of tells uh, her kids that, you know, she's, you know, seeing a younger man going to marry a younger man and they get real upset with that. Like the colors just start going in 
it's kind of like a frenzy like and like there's this one discussion where you have the son and the mother having an angry discussion throughout the 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 house and like you know we can kind of get like a somewhat basic shot reverse shot but it's like as they're walking throughout the house so in like in their own individual shots it'll just be like this striking color that goes through it there's like a like a you know just a green fireplace or a yellow wall that he cuts to and it's just it's insane and it's not always kind of like pinpointed like metaphorical like going with character emotion it's just so such a strong use of color just throughout that varies it's yeah i mean i isn't, i'm still baffled by it isn't yeah. that kind of, that does that the confrontation that ends with him sort of like divided by I yes. the like glass that's red i mean that is more that like that's metaphorical like, but yeah, like I, I i don't even know what it's called. it's like a the thing that people change behind it's yeah like a, it's like a standing curtain or something like that and so mm-hmm neither of their faces are visible in this two shot. You get the yeah. back of Jane Wyman's head and you get him obscured by this uh, standing curtain or whatever. And uh, it's just such a powerful shot. And it's just like, I don't know. I it, mean, it's like you can't see either of them. And he's like basically telling his mother to fuck off yeah. and that he's like <laughs> leaving and has no interest. I mean, it's, it's too like, it's too sad to even show either of their faces. It's yeah. like the classic example is like a fucking, it's a hack thing to bring up, but like taxi driver, the thing where Travis Bickle's on the phone and, you know, uh, Scorsese says, you know, it's too embarrassing to even show him. And that's why, you know, you have that dolly shot down the hallway, just showing a hallway rather than the character because the emotions are much too powerful for us to even see either of these characters' faces at this point. No, yeah, and it's it's like we we get this through a yellow wall, yeah, a blue blue window, <laughs> green fireplace. This is where these emotions, the emotional impact, is being placed on. Because, like, uh, yeah, it is a dramatic move and dramatic things happen, but it's not exactly always delivered through like over the top acting. It's over the top production design or something mm-hmm. like that. Which is, I mean, talk about visual direction and visual style. I mean, Cirque's really creating something that's his own here. Yeah, I mean, then she has the insane confrontation with her daughter yeah. after her daughter has a fight with her boyfriend about this. Uh, and her daughter has this like light diffuser in her room that the sun is peeking through exactly. Or, you know, we're supposed to believe it's the sun. You know, whatever lighting yeah. scheme they have going on. <laughs> it's just a swirl of colors. And I, I was thinking about this, this color like the way that colors are put into motion is leading up to the scene where the camera movement, you know, it turns these like splotches of color into more vague shapes when the camera is moving. And then this scene is like the apex of that, where it's like, it's always in this kaleidoscope form because of that weird window thing she has and the camera movement and both characters just like, on the bed confronting uh one another and like it's it's just such an overwhelming scene no i mean uh, to speak to the because it's not only color like you said it's like you know with the special diffusion on their faces it's texture too and that's you know due in part to like a very particular production design but it's like even in like the less i mean i think every scene's visually impressive in this movie but even in the less i don't know it's quote unquote you know big money, big visual swing scenes, just like you'll notice things like uh, just how red some, some certain housewives' hairs are or like the sweaters that they're wearing compared to like 
I don't know, like the, the fucking chair that they're sitting on. It's all like, it's all given great detail and great attention to where it's, it's very impressive, very impressive feat. And speaking of those colors, yeah, even like you're thinking of like the more bright ones, but then they go to rock Hudson's like friends party at this cabin, uh, where you have like, uh, I forgot what ethnicity he was but the the foreign fisherman and like the guy named grandpa uh who, great party uh, oh yeah G- grandpa is a uh uh yeah, yeah a guy named grandpa who has a very primitive one-man show that he performs and like this very textured other world that hudson lives in but just the cabin the deep browns of that cabin are as vivid as like any of like the gelled red and blue lights or any of the uh, other colors that are in this. And it goes to show just like how just everything is given just (laughs) as full uh, attention as it possibly can in terms of the expressive use of color in every scene here. I mean, to go back to that party scene, I think that like works as like, because one aspect that i really loved about it this time is just how hard cirque is gunning for the middle class mm. and it's just like that party scene is fun and full of life and that is compared with like the two times we see the like upper class sort of affairs where the first one um carrie she's almost like assaulted by that man yeah who's just trying to make out with her and the second time all of these people who are supposedly her friends just say the meanest thing, like just because she's with a younger guy who is like working class. Yeah. They just berate her. And like even like the brutality of the middle class throughout, like even her own children, like I think less horrifying than the fact that they're mean to her, like uh-huh. less, less impactful than just like how vicious they are to her face is how casual they are afterwards and how meaningless it was to them. Yeah. They just want to control their mother's life. It's, it's, it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah. And like, uh, just like, yeah, I think that, that point it makes with like the kids and how, like how little what they were saying to the mom really meant anything and like how they shouldn't have listened to her. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like a, a lot of other movies wouldn't be willing to gun for the family unit like that. Like yeah. it, re- it really is kind of a, a true deconstruction and kind of to, to I guess, I, you know, not to I know not to harp on the visual style too much, but it is like what like it's like maybe it's just the attention to detail. But I feel like so many people, so many people have tried to ape what Cirque does, mm. whether it's through trying to recreate classic melodrama lighting or kind of taking lessons that i don't know maybe maybe i'm connecting dots that aren't here but maybe there's the the uh influence on giallo like something like a movies like this might have had on that and their expressive use of color same kind of i don't know mental concept and how like it's i don't know it's just like i guess maybe it is like you said cirque really paying attention to those those deep browns and kind of like just like all these uh all the details that he focuses on that it's I still think he's kind of like one-on-one in that department, despite trying to be visually aped time Mm -hmm. and time again, he still stands up. Yeah. 
Uh, I speaking of just things that look incredible. Uh, every time that Rock Hudson like innovates his cabin in any way, oh. it's always like the production design is so incredible. When he reveals his new fireplace slash chill zone, just like his pimped out woodworking mode, like yeah, I built this. It's really not a big deal at all. You know, it just looks incredible, and you know, above the fireplace, it, it's just blank to project like the shadow and color of everything else going on, and. I mean, the use of shadow is just yeah, as yeah, crazy yeah. as the use of color. It's it's so incredible here, especially the way that he just projects these characters larger than life in these moments where their emotions are just that larger than life. I mean, yeah, to speak of the use of shadow, because it's of course the color is going to grab you. But it is like that's something as I keep watching this truly like a domestic drama, certain <laughs> finding ways to shoot interiors and people looking outside of those interiors and the outside infecting these interiors, yeah. the outside light <laughs> infecting these interiors very heavily through and through, a, you know, like uh, a domestic drama where, yeah, just like trying to, you know, trying to visually shoot this house and kind of like the shape that these shadows take is just so detailed that like, I, I keep saying detailed, I keep repeating word, but it's, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm really kind of floored by like the variety of shadow and kind of like. I don't know the certain shapes it'll take given certain objects in the room because it's like it's not even like uh, expressionistic sometimes you're just like oh yeah I guess that is what a shadow would that's yeah. what shadow would form in that room but you don't usually see that in movies mm -hmm. I mean I think Cirque's use of color like just goes hand in hand so well with how he stages scenes yeah, like yeah, that like yeah. really takes it over the top because he's like composing so many beautiful images right after the next like i mean what you said at the beginning eddie where it's like you get an image and you just wish you could go back immediately he's bombarding you with this candy colored world Absolutely. i just want to take a bite out of my damn well, screen i mean th think about like when the snow starts and stuff like that and it's like this is when it's we're like a picture book just perfect. oh yeah this is this this is you're you're in fucking fairyland like and this is like right as they're um, Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman's relationship is in like their honeymoon, their quote unquote fairy tale stage. And I feel like just like the snow, it looks so visually rich. You know, what it didn't like, uh, oh, obviously, I'm thinking of rain. They used to put milk in raindrops to make it sound up. What did, what did they put in this fucking snow to make it look like that? Because yeah. it was just like, yeah. No, because it's like the, the snow that Rock Hudson stands on when he's out there. It, you know, uh, and this isn't to say it's a bad thing. It looks totally different than what's falling. What's falling looks more like an effect, but an effect that just feels so like cozy kind of it's, it's really beautiful. And, uh, the way this film's structured, it's like the first half is this seduction, this romance. And the second half is just pure gossip. It's just the whole town's talking. The kids are being ungrateful brats. Uh, everyone's being judgmental nobody can just feel the love and it's uh it's quite sad you know it's uh, you already said how how shitty they treated her at that party even before they arrive everyone's gossiping and just waiting for her to arrive and they they have to talk before they head out to the party uh rock hudson says okay i'll drive oh actually should we take your car and jane wyman says you know it shouldn't matter then you think and they're just waiting for them to show up it's like oh god they're taking his fucking his his landscaping car with his <coughs> small business logo on it like it's uh, you just you feel so like oh they're gonna get judged so hard you just know it and it's 
somehow even worse than you could possibly expect that scene to go. It's miserable. Well, I think I wrote down in my notes, and I'm going to have to make a, a correction to this. I wrote up gossip equals female conspiracy theories. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's not the point Cirque's trying to make here. I, I'll have to make a correction. Gossip equals middle class conspiracy theories. Cause that, exactly. Because cause that, cause that's, that's really what he's gunning for. Because... <laughs> not to sound like a little boozy here, but you see the, see these men gossiping with these women. They're just sounding, you know, just as effeminate. So <laughs> <laughs> There's no greater icon of the bourgeoisie than TMZ. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, all I, gossip. And it's just yeah. like the second they get into town. And I love the way Cirque stages it. Like you'll have them just walk across the street or something. And then you'll just have... Uh, a shot with them in the deep background just like two random people in the town you've never met just like oh yeah seems like uh she's keeping busy yeah <laughs> <laughs> all the innuendo is great and i actually went and pulled up the censorship file on this which was available i don't know if anyone's interested in censorship just go to it's gonna be annoying to go to like the website for the oscars but mm-hmm. the academy's website i think it's called like the herrick library or something like that uh you could just like search any movie and you'll find uh or like you might be able to find uh, for classic Hollywood era stuff uh, exchanges from the producer to the censorship board. And in this one, the script, they were just like, yeah, you cannot have it like literally imply that they fucked when they first hooked up. Uh, You have to take out any like implication that they actually fucked. (laughs) You have to make it clear that they just spent the weekend together. Uh, And then the other thing was to cut down on the amount of leering that they do, like looking at each other, which is so funny because early in the film, there's such an incredible moment where... First of all, this opening scenario, straight up pornographic. Oh, oh yeah. She's like, well, you know, I um, my friend was supposed to eat lunch, but she actually bailed. So I actually would love to have a big strong man come finish this meal for uh, me. He's so gentlemanly. He only wants a roll and a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's your breakfast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like before she offers him uh, the breakfast... Uh, He's like loading his truck in the deep background while she's talking to her friend and they have a bit of eye contact from like 40 feet away for half a second. And then it's another like two minutes before his character is properly introduced. And it's just such a sly maneuver by Cirque there to introduce their chemistry before even having them talk to each other. It's it's perfect. Desire is in the air. Some people are getting spring fever. And we love love. We love love. Oh, I mean, why do you think we're gushing about this movie? We fucking love love so goddamn much. Um, JT, I, I know you, you, it was commented upon that you have the same breakfast as Rock Hudson in this brief meal that he has. You're also secretly gay. Like Rock Hudson. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I've heard. Well, well not secretly anymore. <laughs> oh, that's good. Truth revealed. Yeah. Twenty minutes into the podcast, <laughs> truth revealed. But yeah, the the gossiping section, it goes beyond the basic gossip of the town. Of course, it is more than anything the internal family affair. It's, you know, the the son just immediate emotional reaction, the daughter analytical reaction because she is studying Freud 101, you know. And uh e- even that dialectic cannot figure out 
that the heart wants what it wants, <laughs> as one auteur once said. Uh, so it's it's really sad, and she breaks up with him at, at what would be the, the second act break, as it were. And we get this scene as the snow falls and Christmas approaches, Chris Kringle around the corner. Uh, she goes to pick up a tree, and she sees Rock Hudson, her now ex. And she just can't even tell like she's being helped by the guy working at the lot and she's trying to talk to him at the same time and the overwhelming of emotions plus just like not knowing what to do in the moment creates such an incredibly beautiful scene that I don't even know what to make of. It's just perfect. I mean, uh, yeah, like Cirque, like I said, he, he knows romance, like he indulges in this romance stuff. And like, I mean, I think a scene before kind of like when she's, considering like oh i can't like i'm gonna have to like she's considering leaving him before and then before she leaves you know make sure you know she's got her shoes tied or some shit like that and then yeah. she immediately swoons just because of how you know caring very romantic scene and then we kind of have like another another type of romantic scene here where we just have rock hudson looking at her for a good 20 seconds <laughs> before he decides to talk to her at the christmas tree just so like far back in the frame yeah. too and then like as you said as that scene develops and it's it's unclear whether you know he's dating that you know young girl uh he was seen at the party w- with before or whatever and just like uh yeah it's it's a uh, when it's a hard pill to swallow when like hudson's like staring at her for 20 seconds i mean throughout he's like pretty alpha like sensitive alpha yeah but like he's giving like the saddest like puppy yeah. dog eyes like when he can't when she can't see him and it's just so funny to see like i mean not fun it's like emotionally impactful in the moment but mm-hmm. it's just such a flip to see like this character so like open and intimate and exposed like that. I mean, as much as the movie endorses rock Hudson's like lifestyle or like, you know, go against the grain, fuck the middle-class values or whatever. He's like, it's still like kind of destabilizes him as someone who's like so sure of himself, so sure in his ways, even if they're right, even if they're right, his ways. And just like, um, once you take that uh, element out of that, that romantic element, you know, take his girl away from him. Just like you said, you can't, you can't Freud that shit. You can't analyze that shit. That shit's going to break you. It doesn't matter how many, you know, mindset memes you read or whatever to try to strengthen your brain. Yeah. Cirque said, (laughs) analyze this. (laughs) (laughs) So Christmas comes and Chris Kringle brings her a TV set. And what, a depressing shot, man. <laughs> Seeing her reflection in the TV. Now you'll always have company. Yeah. Uh, the guy says, and uh, she knows that that is not enough, of course. And you know, um, a few scenes later, uh, she finds out that he wasn't dating that young girl, and she goes to try and see him, and then she like has last second. Uh, just nerves can't do it pulls away rock Hudson sees her in the distance and tries to yell for her and falls and falls into a coma he falls like 40 feet it looks like <laughs> pretty gnarly um I think because like like um once you know she's like trying to introduce rock Jane Wyman you know to the community or whatever I'd kind of forgotten this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. And there was a bunch of different ways where I thought, like I thought the son was about to like dose his drink with too much alcohol. So he acts like a fool at the party, crashes his whip. I think that happens in another movie, to be honest. But, um, 
and yeah, just the, the kind of the turn of like Rock Hudson going into a coma is kind of kind of a strange one. But I mean, I mean, he pulls it off. Yeah, um, he awakens at the end of the movie, and it's just so magical with J- Jane Wyman at his side, and you know, he just knows right away that they're back together, and you know, says that she's home, <laughs> and the camera pans up, and we see a, a deer outside the window. And what a beautiful grace note to end it on. I mean, come on. That, sh- that shot, that kind of like that last shot of him, because like you see the deer while he's waking up. It's like he's framed on the couch laying down, very kind of like low in the frame, and kind of we have Wyman over him, you know, providing that care. And a lot of the window is in there. And we have like Wyman and the deer looking at uh, Rock Hudson at the same time. And it's it's like it's pure fantasy shit. Like, it, like it's... Um, cause like there's a lot of, you know, grand images, especially by that window, that window is a great provider for yeah. some rich, some rich nighttime colors, et cetera. But like the that blues that yeah. are produced for oh, nighttime man. are just ridiculous. Yeah. And then just, I feel like he, he ups his ante with this final shot and just presents, I don't know, just something that like I could, it was so like, I guess beautiful, but also just kind of like incomprehensible in a way for me. That yeah. Just, like, like what does the deer mean? Yeah. <laughs> There's just so much, so much beauty going yeah. on here. You know, it's a, what is this, Mike, a Michael Shimino movie? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, he's not hunting those deers. True. He's mm-hmm. just hunting pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Him and his homies just hunt pheasants. They got dogs to fetch them. That reminded me of the Dr. T and the woman scene when the, oh, like, they yeah. would talk. Where it sees with Andy Richter. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Although completely different you know things that yeah, are trying to be course. achieved something those, to think about yeah exactly <laughs> male masculinity we've, we've been on that you mentioned Mulvey. we're on that you know yeah feminism 101 type exactly. movie reading tip <laughs> um, let's ride that i still want to hang <laughs> yeah. out with those guys from dr t and the women oh uh, yeah that hunting squad of like andy richter and richard gear <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's that's so sick we get richter pre-twitter richter richter seems like a chill guy <laughs> Actually, like, I know it's easy to say that he's always been shit and just rode Conan's coattails. I think even if it was just as a sidekick, he was good until, like, basically until the Lennon-Conan thing. Like, I think everything from then on is kind of bad for him. Uh, Leno Conan, sorry. The whole when Conan w- became a Leninist, <laughs> when Conan went MLM, it was just like, all right, dude, I get it. You listen to Chapo, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I don't like your brocialist beliefs, Conan. Yeah. Who's who's this Lenin? Only Lenin I know told me to imagine. That's true. I have seen that was one of the few celebrity encounters I have had. I've seen uh, Andy Richter at Eaton Park in Burbank. Damn. You know what? He's wearing a wrestling T-shirt. Damn. Andy Richter, we might be giving him shit. Might be a great father because <laughs> I remember when I was young. I was young. There's this great park in Monterey, has a big black train on it. I think they removed it like three years ago. If you know that park, right into that show, right, in, right into the show. But uh, um, yeah, right into that show. Andy Andy Richter <laughs> controls the universe. Yeah, right into that show. And my mom claimed that she saw Andy Richter there when I was seven, and I didn't know who the fuck Andy Richter was. I was seven, yeah. but I, I remember that for some reason. So I might have seen him before too. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Also, like he's not yeah. that good or anything yeah. like that. He was good at like getting bullied by people that were funny as guests on yeah. Conan. You know, yeah, and, like exactly. he was good in Cabin Boy. I haven't. I need to watch that. But, oh, okay. Yeah. He's very, he's funny in Cabin Boy. No, yeah. Hey. Anyway, 
Hey, he's good. He's talking about Andy Richter on our Douglas Circus. <laughs> Had to give him some minutes. True. <laughs> well, to speak of some low culture that was inspired from it, uh, I mean, John Waters' polyester is like a pretty one to one remake almost, or a trashification of this. And I also think that's John Waters' best movie, or at least that I've seen, you know. Um, also, of course, as I said earlier, yeah, Fastbender, Fastbender's uh, Ollie Fear Eats the Soul is basically this movie with with race instead of uh american middle class values and uh yeah i i think that beyond the heart wants what it wants uh as a melodrama premise i think that like the inherent like uh dialectics of this film like the high art and the trash combined like the fact that you know circus intellectualizing this stuff as he's doing it and the insane stylistic choices that he makes just open it up for so much quandary like what does it mean you know if you're if you're into that whole thing of you know meaning making or whatever which, frankly, I could take or leave. But for this movie, it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, like you were saying, you know, he intellectualizes stuff, you know. It's very explicit. He explicitly is intellectualizing stuff with characters here and stuff like that. But I think, like, yeah, there's a reason he specialized in melodrama and a reason he knows this. Because, you know, at the core of the movie, he realizes that that pure emotional heart wants what the heart wants message has to be the core for you know any of this to be i don't know interesting because there's a lot of movies that intellectualize shit and it's just fucking dumb and not interesting to watch but need that strong stream of emotion flowing in to get some visual inspiration going i mean i feel like the things that he's like intellectualizing in that sense like add to tension and conflict it's not like superfluous Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely smart guy he knew uh, what he was doing. Yeah, he, he is a smart guy. <laughs> also, you brought up Giallo earlier, and I think that is an apt comparison. The, both genres are so, like, just raw emotions and, yeah. like, uh, the best directors, you know, uh, expressing those raw emotions through form. And the the highest points of emotions for these characters, both in horror and melodrama, are where you can have straight up you know avant-garde technique seeping in because the emotions are running that high that it almost seems natural within the framework of a film that's that's very true that's actually a very good point and i never i think that's maybe something that's been in my mind but wasn't really you know elaborated so well but it's like yeah like a drama from this time like a straight up drama like a serious not a you know quote-unquote women's picture would have there'd probably be more of a I don't know, visual status quo that, you know, Cirque was, you know, expected to follow. Same with, you know, you know, a lot of these Giallo horror movies, since they weren't seen as so important. A lot of these, there's a lot more chances, visual chances taken with them. And that, that still could be said, you know, today. So it's, you know, yeah. fucking respect the, the genre picture. Well, I'm also, <laughs> I'm taking a little bit from some, some genre theorists here. Well, that's the, th- I mean, there's, uh, there's no way we came up with that, yeah, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, cause I want to yeah. shout out some more feminism 101 stuff. Let's Linda go. Williams also who writes some, you know, gender film stuff, uh, like w- probably the best gender genre thing that I've read. And I've read a lot of nonsense in that department, to be honest, I've had to for school and from online, you know, it's like you, you see someone wrote about a cool film. You're like, well, let's see. 
and yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> but this piece by Linda Williams, film bodies, uh, gender, genre, and excess. It kind of connects uh, melodrama, pornography, and horror as the three like body genres that are all you know about the spectacle of emotional excess and the body, and you know uh, these things that cause these like reactions and convulsions and spasms in the bodies of the people. And in this, it comes down to the mysterious headaches that she gets these yeah. these stress headaches that jane wyman gets throughout and she goes to the doctor and eventually the doctor's like yeah you're protesting against the world around you literally <laughs> like your mm-hmm. your body is fighting around a, against your miserable world that's pretty woke for a doctor at the time to do instead of just like giving her pills to be like hey just shut up just what? like stop <laughs> or doing something worse yeah <laughs> uh, i think yeah didn't cronenberg make a movie about that yeah. a dangerous method uh, no, well, that's what, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, well, this was the best fucking doctor ever. Because <laughs> even a doctor now would just give you, you know, pills and just, you know, tell you to be quiet. But I was thinking, eh, a doctor might not even see you now. Yeah. May not even see the doc. Not to get political here, but, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we've done enough on this, right? Yeah. Any, yeah. any final thoughts? Uh, Cirque the Goat. I should be watching one of his movies a month. Like, I, I really. I should I should be watching more Douglas Sirk. Yeah, uh, JT, what what are we doing on the Patreon next week? Similarly, like taken aback by this, I wanted to do something that involves a lot of spectacle of bodies and involves a lot of color. And from what I've seen, I think this is it. It's an interesting film, and since I'm doing uh, two American movies in the uh, in the main feed, I figured I'd change it up with the East is Red. The 1965 uh, pre-cultural revolution propaganda movie by Wang Ping. I think there is a clip or some clips from this in the the new Adam Curtis. Okay. I, that piqued my interest in it, and uh, it seems like it's going to be a fun little musical. I, I, I can't wait to get propagandized. I want to, you know... Yeah, return to propaganda. JT programmed that a while back. <laughs> we, we had a little propaganda discussion. Hey, I'm, I'm down to revisit the topic. I'm sure we've watched some nice props since then, some agitprop cinema. Not me, man. I've, I've stayed I, away from the nonsense. Oh, my God. He's a free thinker. I'm total one-of-one one thinker here. <laughs> um. Okay, well, we'll see you next week, then.